0: This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto sports.
1: This is Toronto today on TSN 1050. Mike Hogan with you for the next hour. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, more baseball talk. Chris Cotillo will join us from MLB, uh, sorry from uh, SB Nation. He's our MLB reporter and insider. Yeah, we'll get some, we'll get some trade talk because that's what we do. Uh, we'll uh, we'll keep you up to speed on uh, what's going on as far as. The trade deadline is concerned, and we'll get some Blue Jays talk in, obviously, uh, over the course of uh, that discussion. Uh, also, I can't tell you how pumped I am for this, as, uh, as Dan Riskin and Zaya Tong from Discovery uh, are going to join me at 12.15. It is, uh, it, it, it is not everybody's cup of tea. I get it. But I think everybody to some aspect, not named Joe Narsa, our producer, has some intrigue about Shark Week. It's just out there all the time. The, uh, the publicity campaign for it is obvious, and it's just it's omnipresent. And if you are into uh, science at all, if you are into sharks at all, even just a little bit, or curious about these little beasties, um, then uh, this is a great week for you. Bottom line. And now this... I don't want to call it a gimmick. That's unfair. But they, 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 they try to look for a different angle every year on how to get attention. And Michael Phelps is going to race a shark. I don't know how. I hope he doesn't get eaten. Usually sharks don't do that. Sometimes they do. I hope he doesn't get bit. But he's going to race a shark. Which to me is very intriguing. I don't know if, um, if Dan and Zaya know how they're going to do this. But they're going to do it. And we'll find out about uh, 10 minutes from now. Uh, also, uh, talk aplenty about a now former member of the Toronto Raptors. And we've seen a few guys come in. Uh, CJ Miles is here now. I guess that's the big acquisition. But Pat Pat is gone. And PJ Tucker's gone and Corey Joseph is gone and Damari Carroll's gone. And when we had him on uh the day after it was official, um Josh Lewenberg uh and he have a fairly good relationship. Uh, obviously. Um uh, J. Lou covers the team, gets to know the guys fairly well. So he came on and uh we he he didn't go all angry departed player on us. He talked about the fans. He talked about you know he did, He talked about the injury problems. He was fairly open, but he didn't really start spewing venom, which he had done subsequently. And there are a lot of guys who probably are saying, well, good. He's venting on his way out the door. Good for him. There are others who are saying, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Just, just leave. It didn't work out here for several reasons. That's one of them, the injuries. But just go out out the front door. And on the jump yesterday, Steven Jackson and Paul Pierce were on the program, and uh, well, they weren't really thrilled with the way Damari Carroll left town. This is what happens when we give everybody a voice. Like, come on, leave it alone. You left Toronto, you're in the Nets, be happy there.
2: Just be happy, don't, don't take criticize. shots right. at Toronto now that you're gone. Understand you're a role player, you, you, do what you gotta do. But I'm going to hand it over to Jack, and
1: you just tell let him, him, really let him really how it is. Let him oh. go. Tell him how it is.
3: Let him go. Go.
2: Demar Carroll, why are you even talking? <laughs> if anybody passes you the ball, you should be happy. <laughs> Play defense. You're Bruce Bowen. Just go in the corner, shoot threes, and be happy. You shouldn't even have an input. You're not good. You got seven. You can shoot yeah, threes okay. in the corner. It's not that you, he's uh, not good. He's, he's not good enough to have an opinion. <laughs> he's
1: not good enough to have an opinion. It's a good line. I don't know if I subscribe to that theory or not, but it's a good line. You're not good enough to have an opinion, Steven Jackson. Masai Jury was on overdrive, and um, he was talking about the expectations with Damari Carroll. Uh,
4: you know, I I, I I I know what he has saying, Steve. You know, like I'm going to I'm going. I, I reserve my my comment on that. You know, like but. I think the expectations were on, but the best way I can put it that the expectations were on both sides. And um, did he meet ours? You know, like it's questionable. Did we meet his? It's questionable. You know, like and I say sometimes the best way to do this is be happy with your next environment. You know, like and go try and make it work, and be thankful for the one that you just left. You know, like that's that's how I would approach it.
1: That's Masai Ujiri on Overdrive, talking uh, about uh, sort of the expectations, and I guess the big the uh, the comment that um, got him in trouble was talking about trust and trusting the guys and the guys not trusting one another. I think that was in an, uh, an interview with Post Media, and that made the rounds. And uh, Ujiri was asked about carol's comments concerning trust
4: um maybe it's maybe there was not more trust on him you know like uh, i feel that uh it's just like i said in my press conference there's uh in a working place you are going to have ups and downs you know like and um it doesn't matter where you go where he's gone to brooklyn they will experience that you know like where he was in In Atlanta, he, he, I'm sure he experienced that, you know, like if not, why would, why did he leave? You know, like there, there's so many things that come up in, in working situations and where we are that you have to weather through them, you know. Um, Last year we had a successful season. Damari only played 42 games, I mean, the year before, and we went to the Eastern Conference Finals, so. Yeah, you know, we can we can pinpoint uh, uh, different things, you know, uh, but it doesn't mean that the year we went to the Eastern Conference Finals does not mean that we did not have up and down ups and downs, and yeah, you know, they were not difficult times, you know. So um, that's the nature of the NBA. It's every day have yeah, seeing the same players, same people, same everything, yeah, trying to do things uh, together on the court and perform. So. Uh, Honestly, I take it uh, with a with a grain of salt. I don't know that we were not good to him. I think we were. I I think the organization was was really good to um, uh, to Dumari. And those issues that you have inside, I honestly, as the general manager of 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 the team, I don't see any major issues um, uh, that I, I can pinpoint and say. Hey yes we need it we need to think about some of the things that we don't do very well but i don't know that there's any issues here that are you know that um are detrimental to our team
1: That's Masai Jury from Overdrive talking about the trust issue between members of the Toronto Raptors I'm thinking if if you're a general manager or a coach who aren't in the room all the time they see the guys at practice. They'll go into the room occasionally. But, you know, the players have the locker room. The coaches have the office. And Masai's got this office with the big desk and the nice windows. You you have a hunch what's going on in the room. But you don't know what's going on in the room. Even if you have guys in the room who are coming back to you. If you have a captain uh, or a, a veteran leader that is trying to make sure that all is well between front office and players, and the front office and the coaching staff have some idea about what's going on. Um, You're not going to tell them everything if you're the vet. You're you're not going to go there unless things are really, really, really bad, and you have to go in and say, we got to talk. I don't know how often that happens. So, to hear him talk about the trust yeah, it's difficult it's a difficult situation for the g m to be in because he hears things, but he doesn't know for sure he can have a good inkling he can be told things, but he doesn't know I'm just sorry that he's uh that there's a little bit of uh bad Stuff going around with Carroll right now that the uh, the mojo on the way out isn't great because I you know when he came in I was really excited it didn't work out okay move along make up for the error seemed like a good signing at the time that just didn't work out Uh, when we come back we will uh, I'm I'm pumped it's Shark Week Dan Riskin. Zaya Tong from Discovery, from Daily Planet, joining us to pump up what should be a spectacular week as it always is on Discovery. Uh, this is Toronto Today. I'm Mike Hogan. This is TSN 1050. Oh, there it is. Don't go in the 14 minutes after 12 o'clock, this is Toronto Today. Mike Hogan in for Gareth Wheeler. And I am lucky to be in this week because... Because we've got from, cellos. Yes, we have cellos. <laughs> Who knew cellos could be so frightening? Uh, you see them on Daily Planet, on Discovery, Dan Rizk and Zaya Tong, joining me in studio because it's Shark Week! Yes! Yeah, it's coming. It's coming. It starts Sunday. Is this the most wonderful time of the year for you?
3: Yeah, this is like Christmas for us, or like the other people, like E-Talk, they have the Oscars, and this is the best time of the year for us. It's a pure joy.
1: Why? What is it that makes it different for you two? Well,
5: I mean, so, I mean, Zaya's, one of my favorite things Zaya says is, sharks are our celebrities, right? This is when we bring out the best of nature. And sharks are also a way to talk about so many other things. You can talk about the ocean as a whole, ecosystems as a whole, predators, prey. Um, and, And the fun thing for us is that we have to find a new way to tell these stories and new stories to tell every year. And so this year we've got this, like, Amazing story about a guy. He's a shark researcher. He's he's been working in the Bahamas. He's got years and years under his belt. But then he gets this call one day that there's a dead sperm whale floating off the shore. Mm-hmm. So of course he goes out there in his boat and does what any self-respecting marine biologist does. You get on top of that. You climb whale, on the whale. You climb sure, on the whale. Absolutely. And you stand on there. And he said because it was in the sun and it was rotting and it was sunburnt, um, it was sort of like standing on a school bus that's covered in slippery tissue paper that's peeling off and so smells really bad. I'm sure. Th- yeah. The <laughs> <laughs> smell not great and uh, but anyway the, because it's a ton of calories just floating in the ocean yeah. sharks were all over this thing right mm-hmm. so um, normally we see sharks feeding actively on living things but to see sharks feeding on a dead thing a decomposing thing is a it's a it's a shark behavior we don't see very often so by just getting on the shark and taking his selfie stick and his GoPro and sticking it underwater yeah. he gives us a perspective of sharks we've never had and so it's just an amazing like going to a place having an experience you'd never have otherwise it's just it, so it, those kinds of stories make it a wonderful time of the year, yeah. Uh,
1: how how difficult is it? And maybe Zaya can get you to talk about some of the programming angles that are coming up. There's one. Uh, but I find it fascinating because, you know, even if you're really into great white sharks, there's only so many times you can see them breach in yeah. South Africa, without you saying, okay, I've seen this one before. Yeah, what are, what are the angles this year?
3: Oh, we've got so many. But one of the ones that I really love it does actually take place in South Africa, and it's a mystery. And basically, uh, you know how uh, in farmlands there were cows that are were showing up, and people thought that aliens were coming and attacking them because mm-hmm. they had surgically precise sort of like a, you know chunks of meat taken out of them. Mm-hmm. Well, the same thing is happening to sharks in South Africa. These sharks, three of them have. Washed up on shore, and with surgical precision, essentially their livers are missing. So, you know, the huh? researchers are like, "What is going on? Is this wow. like, is this people? What, what, why are these sharks washing up? Is it aliens? It certainly isn't aliens. It's Could killer. Be aliens. It's, it's killer whales. Don't spoil it. It might be aliens. <laughs> yeah, uh, no. But killer whales, those bastards, are actually going in there. And like they, you know, you were worried about the sharks. You should be worried about the killer whales. They're going in there and munching on the livers.
1: Yeah, jerks. That's that's evil. How can you yeah. do that to a poor defenseless shark? Yeah, a poor defenseless great
5: white shark, and Free Willy goes in there and just takes a big <laughs> chomp out of it. But what's and I
3: like your theory actually, yeah. why they're doing that.
5: Well, so one of the things that they've they it's pretty common actually for uh, killer whales to eat different kinds of sharks. I've ne- I, before this I'd never heard of them doing it to a great white shark, but mm. um, they can eat other sharks. But one of the problems they have is that shark skin is like sandpaper, and so. So if you're taking many, many chomps of your shark, mm-hmm. you wear your teeth down. And it's like, you know, you, there are killer whales that have totally sanded down teeth because they eat so many sharks. So why not take one good bite right between the pectoral fins and the bottom and then suck out yeah. whatever organs are right there. <laughs> yeah. So I, one more time. Yeah. Do that. And then wait, what was it again? Just one more Yeah. Okay. So we will send you
1: the soundbite. Thank you. you Yeah. yeah, yeah. So
5: anyway, you you suck out the organs and then you eat them because those aren't covered with sandpaper and then you leave the shark because why you know you probably got a good meal right there so don't eat the rest of it and then that's what washes up on the shore so it's uh, it's killer whales not only being scary but also being smart about it.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm intrigued uh, a little closer to home with, uh, with with what's going on in Cape Cod where you go back 20 years it was a rarity to see a great white in that area and I think last year. Uh, they they tagged or saw the the response from tags for almost a hundred? Yeah. We're starting like,
4: to see
3: you know, some big changes in the ocean environments, right? Cooling, warming, things are things are changing quite a bit. We've got one story uh, where we're actually looking at the sharks in Florida. Ten thousand of them usually migrate and mm-hmm. only a few thousand have been spotted this year. So really? uh, yeah. So there are are they are heading
1: north because of the water temperatures? Or? Uh, yeah,
3: that's what it's looking like. That is exactly what it's looking like. So there are shifts in behavior that we're starting to see worldwide. So you've, you've probably honed in on one of those. So. Yeah,
5: and another piece of it is that we, we it used to be, you know, the reason the Jaws is such a scary movie is because you don't see the shark for the first half, mm-hmm. and what you don't see is always way scarier than what you do see. But now, you know, there's so many drones in the air, and there's so many right, th- people yeah. see look are looking down on the water off Cape Cod. Uh, so much more Mm -hmm. and there and everywhere than they ever were before that you're getting a different perspective and so you see more sharks and actually one really cool uh branch one thing we're chasing down on on daily planet this week is a story about the the latest tech for detecting sharks and you know once you've got a shark and you're you're tagging it you can put a little pinger in it so that when it swims Mm -hmm. by an automated buoy you know that the shark was nearby Mm -hmm. and you can see where they go and they could send gps but there's a simpler tech that I just think is the coolest thing in the world where you basically get a drone and you put it over a beach where there are surfers. This is in Australia. Mm -hmm. And it flies a pattern and it just looks down in the water. And then it's got a camera and it's got a machine algorithm to detect the shape of a shark. And if it sees a shark, the the drone beeps. Wow. So these surfers that are out in the water just have a drone flying over them. They ignore it. But if it beeps, they get out of the water.
1: It's the smartest thing in, in the in, world. That's ingenious. Yeah, That's fantastic. Uh, Dan Riskin, Zayatong, joining us from uh, Discovery. Uh, shark Week starting on uh, Sunday. Who decided to sacrifice Michael Phelps? Uh, <laughs> I know,
3: right? Yeah, they just want to up the ante every <laughs> single year. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, why not? But, you know, he is a, a, an astounding swimmer. He is. He represents the human species very well. But years Uh, ago, I read a great article, which was really about how well would Michael Phelps fare against a goldfish? Because, you know, this is their medium, right? Mm. So, I mean, Michael Phelps, maybe 10 kilometers an hour, right? A shark, 40. So, you know, he's got some help this time. He's got some technology. He's got a monofin. So he's going to get in there. But, you know, there's, uh, if you ask me, I mean, there's really no comparison. So, really, we're going to see how Michael Phelps does compared to a shark at cruising speed. Yeah. Not a shark oh, at top speed. And a great okay. white
1: shark. A great white shark. Speed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm just wondering how they do this. Do, you know, Phelps jumps in off the pool, and so does the shark. They put him up on the little well, platform Well, I can tell you to that
5: jump in. You can't, they have not been able to keep great white sharks in captivity. So, we couldn't get a yeah. great white into the Olympic sized swimming pool. So, we had to put Phelps in the ocean. But, in terms of, you know, sharks go where they want to go. And so it's gonna be up to the crew to get Phelps where you know, to the right place at the right time and see if they can line it off. But
3: up. I love wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on the wall during the executive producers meeting? <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? What should we do? I don't know. Who should we get? Who should we throw into like yeah. the shark tank? Yeah,
1: the, no, it's great. The Great Whites get all the love. They get a do. Lot of Aside love. from the great white, what is your most uh, well, uh, intriguing you, shark? You know what? We so, love so many. Oh.
5: Yeah, we totally do. But oh. just when we're talking about the Phelps thing, just you know, because Daily Planet likes to put a Canadian spin on things, we also are taking a great Canadian swimmer, Penny Alexiak, mm-hmm. and we're pitting her against a great Canadian shark, the Greenland shark. Oh, nice! And. A lot of people don't know this. The Greenland shark happens to be also the slowest shark. Slowest shark. shark oh. in the world, it's not slow. It It's like up.
3: two That's kilometers cool. an hour or something. Yeah. Oh, okay. But so, yeah, you were saying about the other sharks not getting uh, as much love, and I, I just do want to say, like the Greenland shark. Mm-hmm. Okay, so oh. Greenland sharks—they're yeah. really old. Okay, great. but I want to—I want to ask you something. How long do you think the oldest Greenland shark has been alive? Do you think I'll, since I'll, the? Okay, here's a little quiz, pop okay. quiz. No. Since before television was invented. Since before radio was invented? Since before the internet was invented? Or do you think before the Industrial Revolution? Still swimming today.
1: Well, the fact that you pulled out the term Industrial Revolution so readily, I'll go with that one.
3: Oh, you're smart. Yeah, Yeah, 400 years. 400 years. That's right. There are sharks that are 400 years that are swimming around in the water. In Canada, In
5: Canada. And you know what? My favorite thing about them is that they're almost all blind because there's a parasitic thing that eats their eyeballs. No, nice. so, Yeah. Like,
1: so but, so between the killer whales and, and this, this is yeah. not a good combination. It's not easy sharks. being a shark. No, no, no it's a terrible week to yeah. be a
5: seal, but life ain't easy for a shark
1: either. I, I know you guys have a couple of these. Uh, I, I am too late in life now to go back and do the educational route that you guys did to be able to uh, love sharks the way that you get the hands on. Can I be a deckhand for Greg Scomel? Like, is there a way that you can set, set <laughs> Well, this we can up?
5: pull some string, we can pull some strings. But I think one of the things about Shark Week and about our show in general is we're finding it's not always the person that spent way too long in school that ends up getting these great opportunities. It's the people that love it the most. Mm-hmm. And so people oh, okay. that are passionate about sharks end up being the ones who are in the water with sharks. And sometimes somebody who's coming from a totally different perspective, a totally different line of work, is one who designs a different rig for for making a video of a shark or or comes up with a different way to look at them, maybe takes their expertise with drones and then applies
1: that. So, uh, Yeah, and
3: I'm sure Michael Michael Phelps probably needs an assistant. Yeah, has yeah, go. got to keep his chest. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, okay. There are jobs and there are jobs. No way. That way. Uh, how bitter, bitter are you, Dan, that there's no bat week? I'm bitter about it's the so lack
4: bitter. of a
5: bat week. There are only 500 kinds of sharks. There's like 1,300 different kinds of bats. Bats are very charismatic. And thank you. I would like to take this opportunity to say, you know, presidents of discovery, if you're listening, <laughs> bats are where it's at. I'm telling you. Bat week. Give us, uh, give us a plug
1: once again for Shark But week.
3: there's a Batman. There's no Shark Man or Shark Woman.
1: There's Sharknado. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <That was> a, <laughs> I believe I rest my case. Uh, Batman no wins. <laughs> <laughs> uh, once again, the plug for for Shark Week. Yeah, uh,
5: Shark Week starts uh, Sunday at uh, eight, uh, yeah, eight, eight o'clock. PM? Is the Phelps, is the, Phelps is thing? the Phelps show? Yeah, yeah, and uh, on, on Daily
3: Planet all next week. And how many we'll Starting at seven
5: p.m. Uh, we have a new Daily Planet episode every every yeah. all five days this week, awesome. and it'll be uh, an hour of Sharky gritness and and really good stuff. It's a great it's a great year of shark content for sure.
3: It and as we is. like to say, it's jawsome.
1: Oh, nicely, guys. <laughs> nice. That's Zaya Tong. Also, Dan uh, Dan Riskin joining us here from uh, Discovery. Thank you so much, and uh, we will be watching. Thank you, uh, thank you. When we come back, more to come. We'll get the, back to uh, the mainstream sports and uh, get some Jays talk in next as we continue with Toronto today here on TSN 1050. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do that. It's twelve thirty. This is Toronto today. Mike Hogan with you in for Wheels. I have a little bit of hearing loss. I'm blaming most of it on Big Sugar. I don't know if you ever saw Big Sugar live or seen Gordy Johnson post Big Sugar live. Loud, awesome live, very loud. Uh, my thanks again to uh, Dan Risk and, and Zaya Tong for uh, dropping by and spending uh, some time with us talking about Shark Week, which begins on Sunday. Uh, that was fun. The, the, off, uh, the off-air conversation was, was equally as entertaining as, uh, as we were talking about some of the aquariums and just uh, some of the stuff. Our family's really into it to the extent where my wife and I went down to, uh, to Cape Cod a couple of years ago just in case. Like right to Chatham, Mass, where there's like all of these great whites. There's, a, there's this giant sandbar right across from the main harbor sort of the entrance into the into the port and filled with seals protected in massachusetts they can't call the seals so how are the seals or at least the seal population being somewhat dissipated you yeah, about a hundred great white sharks in the area that might do it they just it's a smorgasbord for the sharks so it's a, it's a, it, it's fascinating stuff. It is to me, anyways. And I hope that if you've never seen Shark Week, if you are as uh, unenlightened, shall we say, as Joe Narsa, our producer, when it comes to the uh, the greatness of the Great Whites and all sharks, uh, give it give it a show or give it a shot rather at uh, at Discovery. And uh, again, thanks to Dan and Zaya for coming in. Um, back to baseball. We're going to have uh, Chris Cotillo join us from SB Nation in a couple. Of moments, uh, but the the story here in Toronto obviously is the blister Steve Phillips was on with the guys on the morning show today. Cause was in for Naylor Laberg here as always, and uh, Steve Phillips talked about sanchez's issue
2: when that blister starts to form, especially when you've had it before, you try to compensate and in baseball as a pitcher, everything is so finely tuned that if if you have a sore calf muscle it can mess up the way you throw the ball because the, the, the legs are the foundation of the delivery. It's kind of the first thing that starts things. Well, the last thing are the fingers. And, and uh, you know, if he's trying to protect it, especially a guy like Sanchez who's a sinker ball pitcher who really needs to manipulate the baseball with pressure in order to get the movement that he wants, that if he's trying to compensate for it, it's going to completely change the way the ball comes out of his hand. And there was a bit of that taking place yesterday Uh, that, you know, your command isn't where you want it. You may still be able to throw a strike, but it's where you throw it in the strike zone that gets compromised. And I think that's been part of the issue.
1: Steve Phillips talking about uh, uh, one of the issues, obviously, with Sanchez, and it's a blister, and it's, it's the same spot. It's a small blister on the same spot. I can't even imagine what it would have been like for Sanchez to see that thing or feel that thing for the first time and realize, oh, no, not again. After what that poor kid has been through? Just feel awful for him. But, you know, we, we've heard, it's, it's not just Sanchez in Major League Baseball. I mean, we talked about Syndergaard, we talked about uh, Johnny Cueto, who's been, has had many blisters so far. He's had massive problems this year. Uh, and we heard um, Marcus Stroman not too long ago talking about a conspiracy. I don't know if it's a conspiracy, but there might be 2 something uh, about the uh, composition of the baseball. And Steve Phillips, again, one of our baseball insiders on TSN 1050, uh, asked about the ball composition and the connection with blisters.
2: Well, I, look, I, I don't, I don't, I don't believe in conspiracies because, first of all, I don't think people can keep secrets. Uh, and so, if there's something amiss, sooner or later, somebody's going to speak up about it, and they'll tell somebody that they trust, and they'll tell somebody that they trust, and sooner or later, somebody that's not trustworthy. We'll have the information and we'll let us all know. So uh, I don't think there's any thought of Major League Baseball saying, let's tweak the baseball so we get more home runs. And the the unfortunate byproduct has been blisters. I I think though that there's got to be something different with the baseball. Pitchers, you know, it's their tool of of their trade, right? And so when they put it in their hand, they know if it feels different because they've had it in their hand so many different times before. And so uh, I do believe that there's something different, and I know that baseball has tested it, and it's within the parameters of, you know, margin of error. I guess the issue is maybe the margin for error needs to change. Maybe the parameters need to be a little bit tighter than what they've been before because we are having an issue. And it's not something, look, it's so frustrating as a general manager. You put a team together and a blister is the reason why you're not going to win. Uh, for a pitcher, you know, you, you do everything you can to prepare you watch video, you work on your mechanics, you, you, you mentally prepare, you train the entire offseason. I watched Aaron Sanchez in spring training workout, and I thought, dear God, I, I there's no way I could do what this guy's doing. He he had kettle balls, and, and he was walking on a plank and balancing and his core and everything he was doing to prepare for the season. You know, and the idea is, well, he needed to toughen up the skin on his finger. Like, who would have thought that? And it's so frustrating because it's completely out of your control right now. Uh, and so it's, uh, it is, uh, it is a real devastating thing for him personally. And it's been a big blow to the
1: team overall. That's former Major League Executive uh, Steve Phillips, one of our regulars here on TSN 1050, talking about the problems uh, with blisters, the problem with Sanchez, and trying to go forward with uh, with that problem and, indeed, uh, part of the reason why uh, it's problematic, maybe a little more so this year than any other, although that, I, I think that would be anecdotal evidence at best. At this stage, but uh, to talk about the Blue Jays and, well, the silly season in baseball as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline, from SB Nation, Chris Catillo uh, is on the line. How are you doing, Chris? I'm good. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you. Um, what's the latest rumor that you've heard that makes any sense at all?
6: <laughs> I think uh, Sunny Gray in the Astros seems to be heating up, and that makes a lot of sense. Obviously, the Astros could use a big-time starter they've been you know kind of looking in that market for a while and i think a three-headed monster there with keiko and mccullers would be a really really interesting mix for the postseason not just this year but beyond obviously all those guys are under control and and so that's that's kind of what we're monitoring right now i uh, just had a trade with david selfs going to the mariners for four prospects uh, kind of oh, a high okay. price there with four guys but um sunny gray sunny gray is is you know the big guy still out there on the market
1: um how, I guess the Astros got a little bit of good news on the weekend because uh, Keikel threw a rehab stint and it seemed to go pretty good.
6: Yeah, he's obviously a key for them at this point. You know that they're not in a rush to to kind of do anything. Obviously, a big blow with them losing Carlos Correa um, over over the last week and and having him be out six to eight weeks. But still, you know they're so far ahead of everybody in, in the West that they can they can take their time and and really basically just. Whatever they do, they're going to be in the postseason. So everything they do at the deadline, everything they do injury-wise is completely focused in October. That gives them time to get Keiko back completely healthy, time to get Correa back and, and not, you know, have any panic moves. But they've been looking for an ace for a long time, going back to last trade deadline, back over the winter. They really tried to get Chris Archer and Jose Quintana. They were even in on Chris Sale before it went to the Red Sox. So it's, it's been a long time coming, and this might be the time for them to strike.
1: Uh, Chris, uh, since we're sitting in Toronto, I may as well go with the Blue Jays near the top, and and I guess the other end of the American League standings from the Astros. Uh, you wrote uh, the other day that you don't expect any non-rental players to be moved by uh, the Jays. Have you heard anything in the in the last couple of days that would counter that theory?
6: No. Yesterday, I checked in, and and the Blue Jays basically are sticking by that line of you know we're not willing to trade controllable players uh, unless we're extremely overwhelmed or really overwhelmed, I forget the exact phrasing, but basically, you know, I wouldn't expect to see Donaldson or Stroman move or any of those guys, Azuna. I think for them, they're looking to contend in 2018. That's that's kind of been the company line for the last couple of weeks, and, and because of that, you know, they're going to keep those guys around. The only way that they could possibly make a move with some of those guys is if they got a really high-end uh, package that blows them away and it's a package that includes major league talent or AAA talent that's, you know, high prospects who are close to the majors and could be promoted. So I, at that, this time of year, you really don't find those kind of guys available. You don't find teams, you know, willing to make offers. If you look at all the, basically all the big prospects that have been traded in the last couple of weeks, the guys, the, the Cubs, Gave up for Quintana, some of the you know Blake Rutherford who went in the Frazier deal. Yeah. Those guys are all like in single A, and those are the type of really high end single A players that you'll find, but you don't find major league ready players available right now and so because of that i just think that the rentals are going to be the guys to move
1: i'm certainly a guy that is willing to listen on donaldson but would have to be blown away uh with fraser already being dealt to the yankees that's one third baseman off the shelf and the cardinals and red Sox, i I presumably are still looking um does, does that intrigue maybe um other teams to make more of a run at donaldson if he should be made available
6: I think, you know, there's so many third basemen available right now. That's another piece of this. The Mets are shifting as Grubel Cabrera kind of as a showcase at third. You have Eduardo Nunez in San Francisco as a rental, just mm-hmm. like I believe Cabrera is. You have David Freese, Josh Harrison. Uh, there's really a ton of pieces out there. Frazier was kind of the hot name just because the White Sox have been so aggressive in shopping him. But there's a ton of third basemen. Obviously, Donaldson is, you know, a completely different package than all of those guys between the control for an extra year and just the talent, what he brings to your team. Um, but for teams you know, not looking to pay that huge price and looking for an option at third, there are a ton of those options. Cardinals, Red Sox, as you mentioned. A lot of teams would be interested in Donaldson, but I don't think anybody's going to be willing to meet that price when there's cheaper alternatives readily available.
1: One more on the Jays, if I may, and and that is uh, sort of looking big picture. Is Is this the time to... Take advantage of players who have a year left like a Donaldson, and maybe be a little more aggressive trying to move them uh, because when you look at this team for next year i 'm not really blown away by the prospects of a, of a playoff spot either. Is this the time to maybe up the pace and maybe make this deal this kind of deal
6: I think I think when you have the option with a year of control i 'm not really sure that the Donaldson market is going to change too, too much between, you know, now and the winter meetings. And I think if, if they're willing to really entertain that at the winter meetings, they could still probably get a lot back for them. Same obviously goes for Stroman and Azuna and some of those other guys. And When you you know, don't have to rush it with a guy who's not a rental. I think that the winter meetings makes a lot of sense because you have all of a sudden 30 teams for the most part thinking they're contenders instead of just the 11 or 12 buyers you have right now. But the, they're they're saying they want to contend next year. So that would seem to indicate that they're, not looking to make those deals over the winter. It'll be interesting to see if they make additions over the winter because you know there's 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 some pieces in that farm system they can move, but you mm-hmm. don't want to deal a Bichette or a Guerrero or <sighs> Alfred or any of these guys that we've yeah. seen um, for a run in 2018 when nothing's certain, especially in a strong division. They're in a really tough spot, obviously. I think you know, if they can just get some value for their rentals, which is really tough because they haven't been performing well, then then that will be kind of a good start but it is a really tough position.
1: Chris Cotillo joining us from uh, SB Nation uh, here on TSN 1050. Uh, they made the deal for Hecheveria already but Tampa's been I guess I haven't heard their club tied to a lot of names since that deal. Is that, a, is that a team that should be a little more proactive or do they have the budget to go out and do what they want to do?
6: They're being active especially on the bullpen market I okay. think you know the the rumors that we hear mostly are tailored towards starters, and they kind of have the luxury of of having a good rotation and then some depth options, some guys guys on the DL that they're going to get back and don't really have to worry about that. And I think for them, it, it's all about relievers. Uh, David Phelps was kind of one of the guys that could have you know made sense for them traded to Seattle about an hour ago, and I think you know now you're looking at the rest of those relievers. I'd be kind of surprised if one didn't end up in Tampa between Pat Neshek, uh, Justin Wilson in Detroit going to take a haul to get, Tony Watson in Pittsburgh, uh, Brad Hand in San Diego. There's mm-hmm. a ton of these guys that are still available, and I think uh, Tampa's going to probably go out and get one. They have the prospects to make a move, and it's really interesting is that the Rays, you know, as they've been kind of since 2008 when they first got into the World Series and were a contender. They've never made a deadline move bigger than that Hetcha trade. They they added Chad Qualls at the deadline once and Gabe Gross at the deadline once. But this is <laughs> the the most aggressive buyers they've ever been. So it's really kind of uncharted territory for a team that about two months ago we thought, oh, they'll trade Archer at the deadline. They'll yeah. trade Alex Cobb because that's what we're used to them doing trading their pitchers, whether it be Price or Garza or more or whoever. So it's uh, it's kind of refreshing to see them actually, you know, uh, away from the Friedman kind of mantra of selling at the deadline and actually being in on some of these guys' as
1: buyers. Chris, is Texas being a little too quiet as well, or have they decided what they want to do yet?
6: Yeah, they're one of those teams that's right on the fence. I I made a list last night in a notes column of the teams who are squarely on the fence, and there was like five or six, I think. I think Seattle was in that mix, but now they're buyers, and they signal today. Texas is definitely right on the fence, and... And basically the next week will determine what they do. I've heard them kind of linked to some rental starters, which is interesting. Marco Estrada is a guy I have heard them link to along with Kansas City, but his value is not super high. I still think he's going to get moved just because, you know, you're not going to have to pay a lot for him, unfortunately, for the Jays. I think Texas, if they keep falling out of it, you, Darvish, they have to at least listen. Uh, He's obviously fantastic. He'd be a rental option and probably cost you less than Gray would or Quintana did. So, that that's really a big piece of this. If he, if if the Rangers do fall, Darvish, Luke Royce, some of those guys all available and could shake up the market late.
1: Um, you mentioned uh, Texas of Estrada. Is it Texas and Kansas City? Have you heard any other teams in connection with him?
6: No, I, I that's that's the two that I heard yesterday. I'm sure there's others poking around. You know, there's a lot of teams uh, that could could add a guy. And I, I like I said, Estrada is the way he's performed. He, kind of hurt his value and that's that's unfortunate but he he is still one of the top rental guys out of the market you know you're looking at that market right now being him Jaime Garcia with the Braves who I think is is probably the top guy because he's he pitched well the other day and is drawing a lot of interest and then Lance Lynn in St. Louis if they decide to sell is an interesting name Trevor Cahill in San Diego it's not your high-end rental starters obviously um, but Kansas City I think will add one of them for sure I think you know that's really what they're trying to do as this window closes for them. Uh, other teams are if they have the prospects focused on the controllable guys, whether that be Gray uh, or you know previously it was Quintana and you've heard the rumors about Verlander. I still don't really know he's going to get dealt, but there's there's a big focus on controllable guys just because again this winter, just like last year, the free agent starting pitching crop is weak. That's why you don't have that many available free agent starters. Darvish, like I said, could shake all this up, but for now. Not a lot of value out there for rentals.
1: Uh, final question: Since you're in Boston, aside from a third baseman, will the Red Sox stand pat, or are they looking to add somewhere else?
6: Yeah, I think the third base move is probably going to happen. Could happen soon. They're Eduardo Nunez with the Giants is now at the top of their list, and it's interesting. I think the Frazier thing was more smoke than fire. I think it might have been you know Chicago trying to drive up the price for the Yankees. Some reporters sure. even admitted that, which you don't usually see. But <laughs> Nunez is a good fit there, and and I think you know they're going to be in on on everybody. They're gonna be probably not as aggressive on Gray just because, you know, this week they're trotting out a seven man rotation and and they have some depth there, Brian Johnson and, and some other guys. I think if they do anything, it could be to add a reliever. Joe Kelly went down with an injury as a setup man, but when he comes back if you have a three headed monster of Kimbrell Kelly and then someone like a Justin Wilson, like a Pat Neshek, that's really impressive. Dave Dombrowski is never afraid to deal and, and that kinda makes a lot of people around here Really nervous when they see a bunch of prospects going out, but there is some redundancy in the system. Um, I don't think Devers is going to get dealt by any means or Jay Groom or any of those top guys, but there are there is some redundancy, and I think they could make some you know relief moves in addition to a third-base one.
1: Chris, I really enjoyed the conversation. I know it's a busy time of year for you. Thank you so much for spending some time with us here in T.O. Yep, thanks. That is Chris Cotillo joining us from SB Nation. And uh, you can follow him, of course, on Twitter, like uh, basically everybody in this industry. Um, it's it's that day, and some people dreading this, some people excited by this, some people just morbidly curious about this, uh, to the point where at T- on TSN today at 1 o'clock, you will be able to watch O.J. Simpson's parole hearing live. He still has, I don't want to say the same luster that he once did, but when you hear the name, if you are of a certain vintage, you are going to have an opinion on O.J. Simpson. Um, For those of us who are old enough to remember him playing, the first time we got an opportunity to see him, he was the best running back in the National Football League. He was just electrifying. He was spectacular. The first guy to rush for two thousand yards, and that was in sixteen games, or sorry, in uh, in a, in a short in fourteen. He was unbelievable. He was just he was just spectacular. And then, after the career is over, he's the juice. He's in the commercials. He's in the Naked Gun series. He's on movies. He's on Monday Night Football. He's on ABC all the time. He's just that lovable guy that everybody loved. Guys loved him. Women loved him. He was O.J. Simpson. And then we know what happened. I can't... I can remember literally where I was when I heard the news. And the initial aspect was, oh, somebody killed O.J. Simpson's wife. Because he was such a character and so beloved a personality that it didn't really sink in that he could be capable of anything that heinous. And then it became pretty obvious that he did it. He gets off. He walks away. And then he's dumb enough After being given a gift by the dream team. A gift of freedom. He's dumb enough to go and get involved in the robbery. Like, how stupid do you have to be? But now, a shot at freedom once again. Eric Macromella is our legal insider here at TSN and he talked about where he expects O.J. Simpson to be in October.
0: It is likely that O.J. Simpson is going to be a free man come October. I've talked about it on my show since January that it looks like O.J. Simpson is going to be free. What happens is these commissioners have this 11-point checklist, and they look at these things, and they score O.J. Simpson, right? And basically, they look at a number of factors. And what is in favor for O.J. Simpson is that, he has engaged in really good behavior as an inmate. There have been no issues. Uh, he's engaged in educational programs, treatment programs. Look at other things like, are you part of a gang? The answer there is no. How old is O.J. Simpson now? He's 70 years old. That makes him less likely to reoffend.
1: Mark, Eric Macromella, uh earlier today on TSN 1050. And I know that made some of you cringe. I, I was listening to a show yesterday on... O.J. Simpson, and where he is right now. I I wish I could give credit, but I can't remember where I heard this. Um, But it was somebody talking about O.J. Simpson as an inmate. Strictly as an inmate. Strictly as somebody who has done enough time where they can be considered for parole. This is based solely on the robbery conviction. has nothing to do with the murder, which, like it or not, he was acquitted of. No double jeopardy, can't be retried. Or there is double jeopardy, can't can't be retried. So now you've got O.J. Simpson as an inmate. And apparently, and you just heard Eric touch on it, he's been a model inmate. I know there are a lot of you that are going, damn, why couldn't he have gotten into a prison fight with somebody? Maybe that would have kept him in the jail for a little bit longer. But somebody I wish I can, gee, I can't remember who it was but he said, "If there has ever been and sorry I want to get the phrasing properly He said, "If you're not going to release O.J. Simpson on parole, you're never going to release any inmate on parole, because he's checked all the boxes on what has been expected of him in prison." that he can go free. Like getting the penalty in Slapshot. You serve your time, then you get free. But that's where we are with O.J. Simpson right now. Some of you may like it. Some of you may not like it. Should he be in jail from essentially decapitating his wife? Hell yes! But he wasn't convicted. There is a chance that uh, he might not get parole. This is Eric MacRamella talking about why O.J. may not get good news today.
0: And one of these aggravating circumstances is just, do you believe this person is a threat to the community? Now, while I think he'll be released, this is really important. He's got a prior conviction for uh, beating uh, Nicole Brown Simpson. He was found guilty in a civil lawsuit filed by the Goldman family, and the commissioners can look at that. He was convicted of armed robbery and kidnapping. He clearly, clearly has a temper. He, he, his background would suggest that this is a violent man with poor impulse control. And so the commissioners may look at this and say, you know what, we're not entirely comfortable. Again, unlikely, but the aggravating circumstances, Michael and Matt, this to me is the key, and this to me is the most interesting part of this hearing.
1: Eric Macromel on today. You heard Michael and Matt. Michael Landsberg, Matt Cause in for Dave Naylor on the morning show. And here's one more from Eric, uh, again, Legal legal uh, here on TSN 1050. Uh, he just says that OJ's case is another instance where justice has not been done.
0: But when he went before Judge Jackie Glass, when Judge Jackie Glass sent him to jail, he just said, oh, I didn't know what I was doing was wrong. Of course, that is complete nonsense. The bottom line is this. He is going to get out of jail in all likelihood, and this is another instance. This is yet another instance where justice has not been done.
1: There we go. Fairly strong words from somebody who's never shy of opinion. Eric Macramella here on TSN 1050. Uh, getting ready to turn over to Scotty Mack. He's going to be uh, in on that. I just want to ask guys on the other side of the class, uh, once more time, uh, one more time, Joe Narsos, our producer, Michael Skrzniak, nasty, our technical poobah. When you hear O.J. Simpson's name, because uh, you guys aren't old enough to have seen him play. Um, I don't know if you've seen any of the movies. When you hear the name, what do you think of?
6: I think originally it was the actor... Who was charged for potentially killing his wife?
1: So you you think of Naked Gun? Yeah, OJ yeah, Simpson. Twenty
6: two and a third.
1: Yeah, thirty three and a third wasn't it? The, uh, yeah, that's yes. a, yeah. You're right. You're okay. right.
6: half. and a half. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was a good movie.
1: Apparently, uh, Squires, I say OJ Simpson. You say uh, second best Buffalo Bills player ever behind maybe Jim Kelly, Bruce Smith. Oh, yeah. i I okay. I, on, honestly. O.J. Simpson is the best Buffalo Bill of all time. I can I can say that very matter of factly and not. I don't think you can talk me out of it. As great as Kelly and Smith and and you Thurman know Thomas. Andre Reed and Thurman Thomas, they had so many guys on that on that uh, Super Bowl run four years in a row. They get to the Super Bowl. It's pretty remarkable. O.J. Simpson was their best player. He was spectacular, just unbelievable. Great college player too. Oh, I've, I'm not old enough to have seen him at USC, but you see. You know, you do. You read up on it, or you see the highlights, or you know, even when they're doing one of these retrospectives, like the ESPN look at O.J. Simpson, which was, if you haven't seen that, by the way, oh my lord, O.J. It was O.J. Made in America, I think was the name of the uh, the the thirty for thirty. I, I know it's a long, it's a it's a major time commitment because I think it's nine hours. Uh, it's worth it, and they could have done another nine hours very easily. And I believe um, it won an Oscar too. Oh, it's just it was spectacular. It was so damn good. Uh, It deserved any accolades that it received. But uh, uh, we'll find out what happens. Uh, You will be able, I don't know if they'll dip into that at all today on the show, but Scotty Mack will be dealing with that. Uh, Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Skrids. I'm back tomorrow. Scotty Mack coming up with uh, his program between 1 and 4 here on TSN 1050.